Welcome to The 100 Podcast. It's Ed and Charlie here with you. Hope you're well. Charlie, today we're doing a special reaction podcast to everything that happened on Friday. A load of replacements were announced for The 100 with some of the big name overseas dropping out. We're going to go through team by team, look at the players that have changed, look at the replacement overseas they've got in, and try and judge how they look, how they stand up, and whether teams have improved or maybe gone a little bit worse. How are you feeling though, Charlie? I mean, this was a big chunk of information to get all in one day. Yeah, I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm feeling stressed. I was expecting some big changes. I wasn't quite expecting this many to just be bombarded out in such a short space of time. <laughs> I was really working overtime trying to keep track of all the squads and what was happening, especially the wildcard picks, which we'll, we'll get to slightly later on. But for now, I'm just still trying to make head of exactly who's gone where and what squads are looking better and what squads are looking slightly worse off for it. Yeah, and that's what we're going to try and work out today. And we'll start with the Birmingham Phoenix, who had four changes. Let's start with Imran Tahir coming in for Adam Zampa, because I think it's just the easiest one to take a look at. We're both big fans of Adam Zampa and what he does in the middle overs. It's quite a similar situation for Tahir. They're similar bowlers in a sense. They're both quite quick through the air, quite skiddy. They don't turn it a great deal, but just very canny T20 operators who have a lot of success wherever they go. Sure. I think what you're getting with Imran Tahir is a guy with vast experience, uh, a guy with a lot of passion for the game and just so much big game now, which I think will really suit him well. Tahir Hazampa, as we say, is probably about as light for like as you could possibly get, I think, in the situation they're in. I think it's a really good switch, actually. I don't think it leaves them any better or any worse. I think it's pretty much the same. It doesn't change the balance of their squad particularly. I think, yeah, very obvious signing. I think that's a job well done. I think Imran Tahir is kind of a forgotten man somewhat. I think people just forget because he's old how good he is at T20 cricket. He has been one of the best players in the franchise circuit for a long time. And he's getting on a bit, but he has not lost any of his skill, any of his nous. And I think he's a really good pickup. We'll, we'll stick with the bowlers then. Obviously, Shaheen Shahafri is a big loss for the Phoenix. He's young. They picked him up a couple of years ago. Obviously, he's a guy with a huge ceiling, a really special left-arm player who can swing it. He's become even better since they picked him up in 2019. He's a fabulous young player and someone they'll want to keep hold of long-term. So that's a big loss for them. But Adam Milne from New Zealand is a very good operator. He has a lot of success in England for Kent and all over all over the world. He's had you know, a lot of success in T20 cricket. He bowls quick. He can bowl at the death with a lot of skill. It's, you know, I don't, it's not a like-for-like like in the fact that Sheen Sharafidi is more of a wicket-taker up front, I'd say. But you're still getting a very good death bowler in Adam Milne and a guy who can inject some pace into this team. Yeah, completely agree. I think Adam Milne, for my money, is one of the most underrated T20 bowlers on the circuit. I think he's an incredibly canny operator, very experienced, as you say. Um, yeah, not like for like, but he does bring a slightly different skill set to the table, which is equally valuable, I think, in its own way. Although they might miss the left arm angle a little bit. Uh, and I think this does leave them slightly vulnerable with the new ball. I don't think they have an obvious absolute gun with the new ball now that Shaheen's gone. Maybe that's Tom Helm, but he's definitely not on the same level. No disrespect intended to Helm. So I don't know. I, I still think that's a good signing, but I think they'd probably be slightly better off with Shaheen. It's tough to replace Shaheen Jarafridi, though. Like we, we can it discuss it all day and how good Adam Milne is, but Shaheen Jarafridi is really special. And you mentioned the left arm angle. He swings the ball. And I don't really have a swing bowler 
who can operate with the new ball now. And look, they'll they'll obviously use the likes of Moen Ali and Imran Zahir in the power play, I would imagine. And those two are experienced operators who will do well. But I do think there is a potential lack of wicket takers with the new ball now, other than Tom Helm. So, you know, it's a loss, but they do improve, I think, at the death with Adam Milne. So, you know, when you are replacing Sheen Sharafid, it's really tough. And they'll be happy to have him come back for the year after and the year after that because he is really special. But Adam Milne, I think, is a good operator. We can inject some pace. Now, Henry Brooks is also out of the team. And let's step over to Henry Brooks before we get to the Kane Williamson replacement, which I think is kind of a big, big moment for this franchise. Uh, Henry Brooks has been replaced by Will Smead. If you don't know the name, he's a 19-year-old. He's played just 13 T20s for Somerset. He is a batsman. He's batting three for them at the moment. And that's a pretty good blast. He's got a striker of 133 in 13 T20s. Young player who I think is kind of forecast by a lot of people to have a big breakout in years to come. It was a bit of a shock to us, I think, Charlie, that they went with Smead, not because of the potential or the talent, but because they are replacing Henry Brooks, a quick bowler, with another batsman. Yeah, I was a really interesting one, balance-wise, because I guess I was expecting more of a like-for-like replacement. But I suppose looking at the same options available... There isn't really anyone who quite does what Henry Brooks does. There's not anyone with that level of raw pace on the circuit. It's certainly not available at this point. And so they've gone completely the way. They've just looked to bolster their batting. And Will Smead, I think, is a surprisingly very canny pick, actually. Again, on paper, you think, hmm, that's weird. But looking through the stats, you know, he, he is a boundary hitter. And that's something that we can tell the Phoenix have really looked for when they've been recruiting their batsmen. He's hit 46 boundaries in just 12 T20 innings, you know, which is very impressive. So Smith is clearly a very talented boundary hitter. I think the potential is very much there for him to grow. And I don't know if he necessarily plays a huge deal of games this season, but I think in years to come, he's really one to watch out for. So surprisingly shrewd, I think. Yeah, I love Will Smead from what I've seen. I think he's a guy who has, so far in his very young professional career, showed that he can stand up against really good bowling. He made 82 of 49 against Gloucestershire last year in his first season, 18 years old, where he took down Benny Howell pretty comprehensively. And Benny Howell is one of the best T20 operators out there. And Will Smead went after him. I think that says a lot. What I enjoy about taking Will Smead instead of maybe more like for like quick with Henry Brooks, is that they're just saying, okay, there aren't that many seamers left on the market that we think are going to be really, you know, really up there. So let's not go like for like, let's just pick the best player that we think we can find. Let's go and get a guy who actually we think over the next two or three years can develop into something really special. And I think that is a really good strategy of going about it. There is no point in just going like for like if you're getting a guy who is just a shadow of what Henry Brooks offers, why not go get a guy who's a far better cricketer and just worry about the balance later? Because they do have some pace bowling options. They do have some good spinners. So for me, I think it's a really shrewd move. And it may not it may not be one that matters too much. I don't know if Will Smith's going to get in that side because they have a lot of good top-order players. But I think it's a shrewd one. The big one, though, Charlie, for the Birmingham Phoenix is replacing Kane Williamson. He's resting from this tournament because of an injury. He's going to be there in kind of a supportive role as kind of not a coach, but just a mentor basically. And they have replaced him with Finn Allen, who is a high quality T20 player, but a very different one to Kane Williamson. He's a boundary hitter rather than what Williamson might offer, which is more of an anchor in the middle order. 
Yeah, I think they've actually taken a similar approach to what they've done with replacing Brooks or Smith there, and that they've they've assessed what Williamson brings to the team, which is a middle order anchor player, which I think is one of the best in the world at doing that in T20 cricket. And they've said, look, we can't get anyone else who's going to be as good at Kane at doing that. So let's take another approach. Let's just go for another boundary hitter in Finn Allen. And for my money, it's hard to find someone right now on the circuit who is as good at hitting boundaries as Finn Allen. He's only played uh, 26 T20s in his career, but he has hit 36 sixes and 96 fours in those games, which is a huge boundary count. Strikes at 170, which goes up to 220 uh, in T20Is, although admittedly it's only three of them. And I think another good point with Finn Allen is that he can keep, which brings a nice bit of balance to the Phoenix because it means that they can drop out Chris Cook from that side if they want to, who, you know, a decent player, but no one there is explosive to somebody like Finn Allen. And that allows you to play the extra batsman or the extra bowler, depending on how they want to line up. So I think Allen is potentially a very, very good signing for the Phoenix. Yeah, I agree. I think the thing with the Phoenix now is you're replacing your guy who in Kane Williams is probably going to bat four, I'd imagine, on that side with another top order guy. Uh, Finn Allen's going to join his Lancashire teammate, Liam Livingston, who's been opening up with him all season in the T20 Blast. Then you've also got Adam Hose, who's a top order player. Daniel Bell Drummond, who opens for Kent. Miles Hammond, who opens for Gloucestershire. Moeen Ali, who you know will probably want to bat up there because he's one of the best T20 batsmen in England. You've kind of got a lot of players there who you know, are all batting in the top order right now, and someone is going to have to bat out of position. In fact, three of them are going to have to bat out of position, really. So obviously, Finn Allen is a great option. I wonder if they will just bat him in the middle order, though. I think, I think that's how I look at it, to be honest. I think Chris Cook probably stays on the side, even though, because I think Chris Cook is just a very good guy to come in at six or seven at the death. He has shown over the years that whilst he is not a dominating talent in T20 cricket in a domestic level, he hits seam bowl as well of a death and he scores quickly off seam of the death. And so I think they might just leave him in to bat six or seven anyway. But the point is, is that you have kind of six top order options there. And by the way, Benny Howell, where's he batting for Gloucestershire this year? Number three. It's everyone's a top order option and they'll find a way of of mixing it up. Maybe Moeen Ali comes in at four, maybe against spin in the middle overs. Someone's going to have to drop out for the top order, but yeah, I think I think it, it's tough to work out how they're going to do it, but I think they can find a balanced side out of all of this. I think so. I think they have lots of options now, and I think it might take them a few games to work out exactly where everyone's going to slot in. For me, looking at this now, I'm tempted to stick with Finn Allen and Livingston opening together. Maybe Moen slots in at four, and then you have someone like maybe Hose or Bell Drummond at three. I don't know. I think they'll need to work it out a little bit, but. As far as opening options go, they've got a lot of very exciting players there. And I think if they do nail down an order that works for them, they could be a, a real, not a surprise package because they, they're obviously very good players. But I think when the original draft happened, I don't think people necessarily thought that was the strongest side. But if that order clicks, they could be in with a, a real shout of winning this thing. Absolutely. And we'll get into how we would balance the side in the team previews that are going to come up in the next couple of weeks. But let's move to the London spirit now. Just one change, but it's a big one. Glenn Maxwell out. Glenn Maxwell is one of the marquee T20 players in the world. I know that that was, that was kind of the London spirit's big name. He's a player who offers so much, just an aggressive middle order and top order player who scores very, very quickly and also can bowl. I think his bowling's not talked about enough because he 
adds a bit of balance to that side. It'll be a big miss, Charlie, losing Glenn Maxwell, even though Josh Inglis is, I think, a good pickup. Maxwell is, he's one of these players who has such a rare skill set, such a high quality that it's almost impossible to directly replace him with a light-like player because you're not going to get someone of that quality. That being said, I think Inglis is a very clever replacement because he does fix a couple of issues that the Spirit had before, namely the keeping and an opening batsman. I think in, in one player, they've kind of killed two burns with that one stone there. Rossington, I like him. I don't necessarily know if he opens in that side, and I think having him at six or seven doesn't really utilise his skill set very well. So now you can have a keeper who opens with Josh Inglis. And Ed, you've obviously seen a lot of Inglis play the Leicestershire this year, and you've got some really interesting points about what the analytics say about him and what he can bring to a side. So Leicestershire have taken quite an analytical approach to picking up new players. Because obviously we're not a county you can go and get Glenn Maxwell to pop over for six games or anything. So we have to approach things differently. And Josh Inglis came over with Naveen Huck for this year. And Leicestershire's fortunes haven't been fantastic, but they've both performed pretty well. Josh Inglis has looked fantastic specifically. And he's a really rare player because... He actually scores quicker against the ball turning away from him as a right-hander than the ball turning into him, which is remarkable. It's not something you see a, a great deal of. He plays left arm spin and leg spin over the covers incredibly well. And that basically negates a positive matchup. So he's also in great form, which I think is important. You know, the, the tournament starts in three weeks. Go get guys who are in good form who are playing in England. And Josh Inglis is in great form. So... Look, I think they'll miss Glenn Maxwell, but Josh Inglis is a positive addition. He isn't Glenn Maxwell, but he can add a lot to this side. And I think whilst they're not going to be as strong without Maxwell, they aren't missing as much as maybe other sides are. And if we're talking about which sides are losing a lot, Charlie, really got to start with the Manchester Originals, don't we? Yeah, um, you look at the list of players that have dropped out and Shadab Khan, Nicholas Puran, Harry Gurney and Wayne Madsen. Now, I think at least two or three of those are big name players who offer a lot to the squad. And I don't honestly think that a lot of the players they've chosen to replace them are as good or offer as much to this particular squad. I just thought of Carlos Brathwaite, actually, because I think... He's an interesting one. He has a lot of star appeal, of course, and he's been in good form with the ball for the Birmingham Bears this season. I don't know if his batting is quite what it was or certainly what we thought it was going to be, but he is a good power hitter still. We know he can do this, uh, and he does fix the, the seam issue a little bit in the squad, but I don't think he's Shadab Khan. I don't think he quite has that all-round skill set and package that Shadab does. I think he's an upgrade in terms of the batting option from Shadab. Agreed. I think he's an upgrade Agreed. Because he is just more powerful and can hit the ball over the fences more. And he has not been the Carlos Brathwaite of the World T20 final because obviously nobody can live up to something like that. <laughs> but he still does hit a long ball and he can score quickly at the end of the innings. And he is a guy who can dominate bowling attacks still. So obviously that's a plus in the batting, but then the bowling, you know, you're, you're missing Shadab, who is a fantastic leg spinner, who will be a huge miss on that side. And whilst Carlos, I think, is a useful T20 seamer, he is not somebody who's going to come in and be dominating force. He can bowl tidily in the power play at times, but I think 
in Manchester, where a lot of the runs come at the top, he will be targeted. That's a concern for me. But then in the middle of the death, he can take the take you know pace off the ball. So I think overall they're losing because Shadab's a really special bowler. But maybe they're just adding something with the power hitting. It's a downgrade, but there are positives to Carlos. I still think he's a very good T20 cricketer. So what they've done with Brathwaite to replace Shadow there is kind of take, yes, it's an all-rounder, but a very different type of all-rounder. And by replacing Poran with Colin Munro, Charlie, that's another kind of like-for-like-ish replacement in terms of they're both batsmen, but two very different left-handers who do two very different things. Yeah, Munro, I'd like to say, has been in sublime touch in the PSL lately. Since the restart, he scored 90, not out of 36 balls, no less, uh, 88, not out of 48, and 44 uh, striking 169 across the tournament. He's a boundary hitter, uh, 11 sixes and 37 fours in seven games in the PSL. So he's clearly in big touch. He's striking a long ball. And that's obviously going to be a useful asset for any side. But he doesn't play in the same way that Puran does. I think the Monroe, you're looking more kind of brute strength and just bludgeoning the ball around. Puran's a more of a silky kind of player, I would say. I think he's a little bit more... He could, by all means, he still hits a long ball, but I think he's just a little bit more malleable. And I think a slower surface like Old Trafford, I think Puran would be slightly superior, in my opinion, coming in at sort of number four. Whereas with Munro, you'd probably want in your top three just hitting a long ball in the power play. I would 100% want Puran in my side over Munro, and that's no slight on Munro. What Puran would have done for this Manchester original side, I think, is bat at four maybe five, maybe, depending on how they feel. And been one of those guys who could take it away from teams in the middle and late overs where it's actually very tough to bat at Old Trafford and get the ball away. Well, Monroe offers is a guy who's going to dominate in the power play. And they've got Phil Salt and Joe Clark, who are two hyper-aggressive English openers. What I imagine they'll do is they'll slot Monroe into open and probably... I'd imagine drop Joe Clark down to three. And then there you've got three high progressive openers who can take advantage of that power play. And the suggestion will be, okay, well, this is the best time to score at Old Trafford with the new ball, with the field up, right? Ball's coming onto the bat, lads, off you go. And their idea will be, okay, we're going to be, you know, after 30 deliveries, we're going to have 50 plus runs on the board minimum. And then we're going to keep going, keep going. And then we're going to back the likes of Colin Ackerman, Carlos Brathwaite and Jamie Overton in the middle order to continue the scoring rate later on. They've definitely got a tactic of how to play at their uh, home field. And definitely they'll miss Nicholas Poran, but Colin Monroe can still do a job. And I think he he can still make an impact. And if he's on form, I I think it will kind of be a wash pick, to be honest. But as special as Poran is, Monroe can be very destructive. Lockie Ferguson also comes in for Casiga Rabada. Charlie, Lockie is a very quick New Zealand bowler. As we know, he offers a lot of pace. Really good death bowling option. He's had some success for the Kolkata Knight Riders and across the T20 circuit. Very, operating really well at Yorkshire, actually. He just took a hat-trick in the Roses match. So obviously, man for the big occasion. But I think as a good death bowler, as a guy who can instigate a lot of pace into the attack, I think it's a good replacement. And whilst Rabada is a very good player, I'm not particularly sure that this is as much of a loss as some of the other changes they've had to make. I don't think it represents much of a downgrade at all, if I'm honest. I love what Ferguson has to offer. I think he bowls with serious gas and serious venom. Uh, the hat-trick speaks volumes, his ability to just ramp it up and rattle through a team in such a short space of time, which when you only have 100 balls to work with, is going to be a really vital asset. And so Ferguson, for me, compared to the other bits of business, I think Ferguson represents good value, and I think he'll do very well for them. I think in a tournament like the 100, where the balls are going to come thick and fast, 
Ferguson's a really interesting option where you can just give him five balls in the power play, five balls in the middle overs, and then 10 balls at the death, and just use him wherever you feel he can make an impact. And a guy who's that good at the death and that quick is a really interesting option for them, and I think he can have success all across the power play. So, obviously, you'll miss Robardo. I think Ferguson is a good is a good replacement. Harry Gurney's retirement, though, I think was the biggest thing for the Manchester Originals. I think their pace bowling unit, specifically death bowling unit, is maybe a weakness now. Gurney has gone, who's such a talented operator. And it's sad to see him retire because of injuries because as a Leicestershire fan, he was fantastic for us, fantastic for Nottinghamshire. Had, he had a nice spell for England as well. They're replacing him with Ollie Robinson of Sussex. We'll move on from the whole Ollie Robinson saga. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about what he offers as a T20 cricketer. He is very different to Harry Gurney, Charlie. He's a right arm operator, obviously, but he's not necessarily a guy that you'd probably want bowling at a death as much as Gurney. No, certainly not. Gurney, for my money, one of the best death bowlers going on the T20 circuit, in my opinion, and his retirement is a big loss for cricket in general, but especially for this original side. Uh, it was always going to be hard to find domestic seamer who could slot in and do the exact same thing Gurney does because you're not going to find anyone of that quality uh, who hasn't already been picked up. Robinson makes sense. I can see why they've gone for this. He is a decent T20 bowler, but he's not a death bowler. I don't think he's a particularly canny one. I don't know if his his variations are his strongest suits either. I think he's good at hitting a line, hitting top of off and cramping batsmen up for room a little, but Raw pace he doesn't have, the variations he doesn't have. He could be a little bit one-dimensional, and I think that might be a concern for them. Yeah, agreed. 46 games into his T20 career, though, Charlie, his economy rate is 8.89. It's not pretty. I think what he will be called upon to do for Manchester is to bowl with the new ball, try and hit a length, try and be difficult to get away in those overs where batsmen are really going to come after you, and that will be his role. But I'd be worried about using him at the death. Because, there, again, there is nobody like Gurney available. That's the issue you have here. Ollie Robinson is basically the complete opposite of what Harry Gurney offers you. So I think it's, it's definitely a weakening of the side. Ollie Robinson will hopefully be able to do a job, but I don't think he's a guy who's going to be a gun player in this tournament. His record doesn't suggest that, even though he does play for England. Finally, Sam Hayne has been in good touch in the blast, and... We think it's a relatively decent replacement for Wayne Madsen. I think Wayne Madsen is obviously a loss because of what he offers in the middle order. He hits it in interesting areas, a really good sweeper of the ball. I think he'd have been a guy who'd have come in with Colin Ackerman, maybe at four or five, kind of those two in that area. Mean guys who can create runs against spinners in the middle overs. They're both guys who can sweep, who can run between their wickets hard. And at Old Trafford, where it can be tough to score runs off the power play, those two would have been really good options. I think they're canny pickups. But Sam Haynes has been in good form, Charlie. So I don't think it's a bad option, even though they will miss Wayne Madsen. Agreed. I am a big fan of Wayne Madsen, personally. I play a lot of hockey, and Madsen obviously played international hockey for South Africa. And you can really tell that in the way he bats. He's very wristy. He uses his feet a lot. Lots of sweeps and reverse dabs and what have you. That being said, I think Sam Haynes, despite being a very different player, he's much more of an orthodox, traditional, you know, attractive batsman a nice straight bat and everything like that. He's in good touch though, 350s this season in the blast, striking at 150-odd, which is much higher, I will say, than his career T20 strike rate, which is only 127. I think he's a much improved T20 batsman since his earlier days. And I I do think he makes sense. I think he's not like-for-like exactly, but I think he slots into that middle order quite nicely. I would argue though, Charlie, that I just don't think there is any way we can argue the originals got better 
in this process. I think they're one of the most weakened, if not the most weakened team from this kind of wave of replacements. I have to agree. Yeah, I I feel bad for them because obviously they couldn't have projected this would happen when they made their draft both in 2019 and then again in 2021 earlier in the year. But if I'm honest, I don't think their original squad was amazingly well balanced either. But this has made it a fair bit weaker in my opinion. I think they might be one of the weaker sides in the tournament. And I, I think they will struggle to challenge the title, potentially. I think it's interesting because I think they have a decent chance to get into the playoffs. And we will go deeper into this for the specific team previews. But I think if you look at their side, they have got Matt Parkinson, Tom Hartley, Colin Ackerman, who are all really good spin options. And then you have explosive you know, batters at the top. There is a way that they just dominate at Old Trafford and own their home conditions. But we'll see. We'll see. Let's move on to the Northern Superchargers who lose Aaron Finch, which is a big blow. They replace him with the ever-experienced Faf Duplessis. Look, Charlie, I think we both agree that Aaron Finch is one of the best T20 players on the planet. So obviously he's going to be a miss. But Faf Duplessis does add experience, T20 know-how. Marcy's not as explosive as Finch, can very much lead this side, both as captain and as a top-order player. Yeah, I think he... By no means is an upgrade on Aaron Finch. Absolutely not. I don't think anybody could be an upgrade on Aaron Finch as an opening batsman. But Faf, I think, does complement the side quite nicely. If you look at their squad, they've got a lot of explosive top-order players there. You're looking at the likes of Willie can bat up there. You've got Live, you've got Chris Lynn, you've got Tom Kohler cadmore And I think, you said this, Ed, as well, actually, that having someone like Faf there who can be a bit of an anchor almost and just allow the other guys to tee off and play with freedom while Faf bats through at a decent strike rate, I think that might complement their side quite nicely. Yeah, I think so. I think anchor's a bit of a dirty word around T20 cricket, and specifically the 100 at the moment, because I think it's an overrated skill set. I'm personally not wanting an anchor in my side. I don't want a guy to strike 120 and build innings. That's not what Faf will do. Faf will just be a consistent guy who will make runs. He'll still score pretty quickly, but he's a guy who can build innings and, and then go after the bowling later on as well. So he will, he will never be that kind of anchor that lets you down. But what he does allow you is, is to have someone who will consistently score runs when you do have lots of really explosive top-order hitters. I think it'll be a really nice partnership with Adam Lythe, who I believe is one of the best T20 batsmen ever to be capped by England. We'll get into that on a later date. But then Chris Lynn will come in at three. He's another power hitter. Then you've got Tom Cole-Canmore, who, again, is a bit of a power hitter. You've got the likes of Harry Brook, who's having a great season for Yorkshire, by the way. He's a fantastic option. David Willey. All of these guys who are high strike rate guys, you can have Faf, not as an anger, but as a guy you can build around who will still score quickly. So, look, it's not Aaron Finch, but I think... Faf is actually, for, for what was available, is one of the best replacements they could have got because he's a great captain, as we know, very respected, very experienced. And I think he will balance that side out nicely. John Thompson, again, actually, I think he's quite a good pickup as well, Charlie. Ollie Stone will be a miss, obviously, but he's not, I'd say, not a dominant T20 bowler in English conditions. And John Thompson does add another guy who could probably bat at six very happily for you. And again, will score very quickly. I agree. Again, I think that Superchargers had a very strong couple of replacements here. Jordan Thompson has been in really good nick, especially with the bat this season in the blast. Mm. Big 74 versus Northampton of week. His, his career strike rate is surprisingly high as well. He strikes 170. He hits a long ball. So honestly, between Thompson and Faf, I think these are solid additions that 
I would argue might actually round off their squad in a slightly nicer way. I like John Thompson. I do. I think he's batted everywhere from three to seven, I think, this year. And he does slide up and down the order, but I think he will slot in nicely at six. He adds another seam bowling option, although I don't think that's necessarily something that you... I'm not, I'm not sure he's a guy who's going to bowl four overs every game, is what I'm getting at. No. Especially with the strength of bowling lineup they have. They do have you know some real quality there. You've got the likes of Majiba Rahman, Adil Rashid, David Willey. You've got the likes of those guys. You know He doesn't necessarily need to get through his full quota but I think he adds balance. And I think that is a really good pick. And I think the Northern Superchargers came out well, given they lost one of the best T20 players on the planet. Obviously, that's a miss, but I think they've done well. Let's move to the Trent Rockets, Charlie, who have lost just one player, Nathan Coulton-Nile, who was a surprise pick for both of us, I think, at the time. And they replaced him well with Wahab Riaz, who, hey, is a very respected Older guy at 36 who has done a good job in T20 cricket for a long time for Pakistan. I have a lot of respect for what he's done in his career, but the signing does feel a little bit vitality blast circa 2013, um, <laughs> if I'm honest. I just think that there's younger, superior seamers of a bit more upside available who could have come in and done that job more effectively than Wahab at this stage in his career. Maybe someone like an Anrik Nokia, if he was available, would have been someone that I'd have looked at personally. Someone I think has real pace and venom, like Wahab had back in his prime, I think. Mm. I do think the Trent Rockets' pace attack is their weak point. I think mm. that's the area that they, they needed to strengthen. I just don't think Wahab Riaz was the guy that should have come in. Yeah, because if you look at the pace attack, they've got Lewis Gregory, Wahab Riaz now, Tim van der Hookton, Luke Wood, and that's kind of it for them, really. And they are going to bowl a lot of spin, both in the power play and outside the power play. Stephen Mullaney is going to play and take the pace off the ball. They've got Rashid Khan, Matthew Carter, I think all will play. Samit might even play. They're going to bowl a lot of spin. So I think getting an experienced guy like Wahab, who can come in and bowl well at the death, I think was... A good option, but I agree that maybe they could have got an Anrik Nochaya who could have come in and added, you know, something a bit different. He just has a bit more venom than Wahab these days. And I think that would have been interesting. Yeah. And look, I, I don't think Wahab's a bad pick necessarily. And to be honest, I don't think he's necessarily that much worse than Nathan Coulton-Nile, who I'm personally not as big on as a guy like Nochaya. I think if you got Nochaya, that would have been an upgrade. But but Wahab, experienced guy with pace, left arm angle over the wicket. He can be really tough to play. You know what you're getting. And a, a place like Trent Bridge, where they're going to bowl a lot of spin, take the pace off the ball. Having an experienced operator who knows how to bowl at the death, I think is extremely valuable. So I think they could have done better. Might have been my way of putting this. But I don't necessarily think it's a bad pick. Let's move to the Welsh Fire now, Charlie. You've kind of got a bit of a confusing situation going on with their overseas picks. Jai Richardson has dropped out completely, and he's going to be replaced by Jimmy Neesham for three games and then Lungi Ngidi for five games. And then Karen Pollard is going to miss the first three or four games of the tournament on West Indies duty, and he's going to be replaced by Glenn Phillips. Let's start with Jimmy Neesham. He's only going to play three games, but you're an Essex fan. He's been your overseas this year. And I think you would probably say he is not the best pickup they could have got here. No. In fact, I would go so far as to say I think he's is possibly the weakest choice of replacement player uh, in the entire replacement round, in my opinion. I like Jimmy Neesham. I think he's a cool guy. I think he yeah, hits a long ball, but he's not been great for Essex. I said at the time I thought he was the wrong player for us to sign 
given our squad balance. And I maintain that that is correct. And I think he's proven that I was correct. Mm. Um, he's not been in great nick, really, by the bat or ball. He scored 53 on debut, but he did get out before he could actually see the game home and left two inexperienced bowlers and Jack Blom and Aaron Najjar to try and see the game home, which wasn't ideal. And since then, he's not scored more than 30. And he's only taken four wickets too. So I don't think he's really delivered in the way that Essex and Anthony McGrath were hoping he would. He's not in great nick. And I think he's just a bit too bits and pieces to be an adequate spot for someone like Jai Richardson, who, you know, a very different kind of player. He's a genuine frontline team option who can still hit a long ball, but he's 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 a bowler predominantly. And if that's what you're looking for from Nisham, that's not that's not the player for me. Yeah, I just think with the Welsh fire, if Jimmy Nisham is going to come in, just worried about who's leading the bowling attack while he's there. You've got Jake Ball, you've got David Payne, Liam Plunkett. For me, with Nisham there, I just think that pace bowling attack is weak and they're going to struggle for those three games. And that's a concern. He is only there for three games, though. And we have got Lungi and Gidi coming in, which I think is an interesting pick. He really broke out early in his career for CSK in South Africa. But whilst he's got a great reputation, I think, across the circuit, he's really struggled of late. Let's talk about the positives first. He has a career T20 strike rate of 14.3. That means he takes a wicket every 14.3 deliveries. That's better than Rashid Khan. Well, he takes wickets, right? But his economy rate of late has been really poor. Since the start of 2020, he's conceded 514 runs in the 47.2 T20 overs he has bowled. That's an economy rate of 10.85 runs and over. Thank you for Alagap and Vijay Kumar on Twitter for that stat. That's really good. It just seems to me, Charlie, that Lungi Ngidi is a guy with a lot of talent, but he's just going through a bit of a slump. And again, I, I worry that the Welsh fire attack will struggle because of that. Yeah, Ngidi is obviously a, a quality bowler. Yes, he's having a slump right now. I, I back him to get over that sooner rather than later, hopefully. And certainly for the Welsh fire sake, I hope he does very quickly because otherwise I think that attack has the potential to get carted quite a bit, especially with someone like Jake Ball being there, who I think is an improved T20 bowler, but I've seen him get hit far too many times to be entirely convinced by him just yet. And Liam Plunkett as well at the end of his career. And so if Ngidi doesn't fire... Uh, and especially if someone like Nisham is over for the first three games about Jai Richardson, I think they could be, I think they could be in big trouble pace-wise. But obviously, current bowlers are really going to have to fire for those final five games when he gets there. Before that, though, Glenn Phillips, I think Charlie is actually quite a good replacement. He's an explosive player. He's not current Pollard, but I think he'll do a job for the Welsh Fire. I agree. He's been a nice touch for Gloucestershire as well, batting three or four and commandeering nice scores and playing the, the English attacks in the English conditions quite nicely. Like you say, he's not Karen Pollard. I don't think anybody really was going to be Karen Pollard. But in the circumstances that they found themselves in, Glenn Phillips is pretty much a bang on replacement, I would say. I think he'll do a good job for them at batting four or five. And I look forward to seeing what he can do. Finally, let's do the Southern Brave. Two changes for them, Charlie. Out drop David Warner and Marcus Stoyness. In come Devon Conway and Quinton de Kock. Look, I think missing a guy like David Warner will obviously be a big loss for the Southern Brave. He's an experienced player, a very good T20 operator. He's had a lot of success. Again, with Marcus Stoinis, he's a guy who has a really good reputation on the franchise circuit. But I would argue they've got better with these changes. I think they're in a team who have got better. I think Quinton de Kock is one of the best opening batsman out there he's another wicket-keeping option as well which i think is valuable i think on current form of the last two or three years in t20 cricket i think he's a better option for the hundred than david warner that would be my opinion and then devon conway marcus stoyne you know two different players but again devon conway has been very very good for somerset this year when he has played for them and i think again 
I'm not going to say anchor. This is a dirty word and it doesn't exist. But he is a guy you can build around who will score consistent runs, but also score them quickly enough. And he's one of those players who will sneak up on you with a 50 off 30 odd balls without you noticing because he's just been giving the strike to the guy down the other end if he's scoring quickly and then just knocking runs around when he finds the opportunity. So actually, I think you've got that David Warner anchorish but not really anchorish role in Devon Conway and then Quinton de Kock is just a better opening bats from what they have so I think they've upgraded I have to agree actually I think de Kock and de Conway are really nice complementary batters in terms of an opening pair de Kock will feel like he can be a little more explosive knowing that he has Devon Conway at the other end who I don't think he's an anchor I think a rotator is probably a nicer term to use for a player like him he's played that role excellently well for Somerset alongside Tom Banton Banton slots into the role that the cop will be hoping to uh, to assume for the Sun Brave and that he's going to go and hit long balls and really target the boundaries and score very quickly. Conway will just keep ticking over. He won't score at a slow rate, but a slower rate than the cock. You do obviously lose the bowling of Stoyness, but I don't know if he bowls that much for me anyway at this point. I don't think that's honest. a big miss. I don't think that's a big miss, honestly. I no, like I Stoyness, but his bowling these days is not really something I'm depending on. Yeah, agreed. And I think... Conway, form-wise, and in terms of the knowledge of English conditions, let's not forget, albeit in a different format, his big test double hundred on debut, the guy knows the conditions well. And I think he probably represents an upgrade on Stoinis too. So I think, yeah, I agree. They have got better. They are very nicely placed now. And I think the Brave have just done their business so well throughout the entire hundred so far from the very original draft right through to now. I think they're very well placed and they've got a bit of favourites for me. Yeah, I think they are the favourites. And I think Quinton de Kock is a guy who, yeah, he'll score quickly, but by the way, he's one of the most prolific run scorers in T20 cricket. He's very rare in the fact that he will go a strike rate of around 140 across his career, but you know, he'll average a lot of runs. He averages well over 30. This guy is special. So I think they've upgraded. I think they have. And I think they have done their business, as usual, very well. And in Mahela J. Warner, they have one of the best coaches out there. I think they'll be fabulous. It's worth touching, finally, on the Oval Invincibles, Charlie, who have... No changes. And I think whilst that is not a talking point, it is also a talking point because a lot of these teams are drafted players who just aren't turning up for them. Whereas the Oval Invincibles are going to get Sonal Narine, Sandeep Lamachane, the Nepalese leg spinner, and Colin Ingram, who are all going to play. There are no dropouts. And I think that, again, is very, very good business because you're not sacrificing a big name just to have to replace them. You are just getting really good players in who you know are going to turn up and you don't have to make any last-minute changes. I think it's great business. Agreed. And I think it really shows that they've done their recruitment incredibly well. I think they've probably fought through long and hard about who's going to be available for the longest period of time. Lama Chain, for example, or, you know, he plays in Nepal. They're not exactly a, a heavyweight of ODI cricket or anything like that yet. And so his availability is pretty good. And I think they must have absolutely factored that into account when they originally drafted them. And with Narine too, he's not really been in the West Indies mix for a little while now. He hasn't played much international cricket for them. That's absolutely something that they've considered when they're picking their squad here. I think it's great recruitment and I have to respect them for it very, very much. In a day of complete chaos, they were the one team that just didn't change anything. I think there's a lot to be said for that. But there you go, that's our kind of review of the replacement players. Obviously a lot of action. It took us a while to go through all of it because there are just so many changes. So thank you very much for listening. Obviously, the wildcard draft happened on Friday as well. Tomorrow, that podcast is going to come out. We're going to discuss the eight wildcard picks. So stick around for that. 
Uh, please review, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and check us out on Twitter at Podcast 100 where loads of good stuff is going on. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.